Let's go ahead and get started with a prayer and then we'll jump into this. Again, thanks for being here. Father God, we pray that you uh, continue to bless us. We thank you for all the people who have safely made the trek to Malibu and for all those who have worked so hard to make this week happen. And I pray that over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, Lord, that you would bless us in this place to be able to have a deeper understanding of, of who you are and who you want to be in our lives and help us, Father, to line up with all the good things that you have promised. As Good Shepherd, you offer everything we need. Father, so many times, at least in my life, I know that, that I need to be reminded that I will not be in one, that you give me everything I need. And Father, help us not be focused on the wrong things and help us during this time to be focused on your, your spirit and to listen to your word and to gain insight into how you want us to live. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So several years ago, um, I was blessed to... Uh, be in a class with Dallas Willard and um, on um, spirituality, and um, we asked him at one point, as uh, as the, the leader and, and professor and Christian author, theologian, and everything he does, what has been the most powerful spiritual practice in your life? And I grabbed my pen, like, okay, here we go. This is going to be great. And Dallas Willard, without pausing, said, easily, hands down, the Lord's Prayer in Psalm 23. And I went, okay, what's he going to give us? Some great insight. He said, every morning, every night, I pray through one of those two. And that has changed my life. And I dropped my pen and went, give me something. Come on. <laughs> and I'm thinking, seriously? The, the Lord's Prayer in Psalm 23? But it, it challenged me over the next year to take the time to, to take on that practice. Super easy. I already had a memorized, right? We know those two passages. But um, to wake up in the morning. And, and work through the Lord's Prayer before I get out of bed. And just kind of pray through that. And then let it rest there all day long. And then go through Psalm 23 at night before I went to sleep. I began to see deeper images and greater things coming out of those passages than I ever thought possible. And so after doing this for about a year and spending some time with it and, and sharing with other people, you need to really be diving into these prayers. I began to feel a lot of deep things happening and things started to come together. And so... Um, Often when we look at the Bible, we pull out all these books, we've got all these commentaries, and that, that's the disease of people connected with Pepperdine, right? Great place, wonderful place, but so many PhDs. I'm a minister at the Canada Valley Church of Christ, and, and if you could skip a rock across your Sunday morning service, it would bounce off the head of probably 12 PhDs, because they're all sitting in, in the church, and they've dissected everything, shall we dance right ahead? And um, uh, we tend to take all of our knowledge and, and bring it to the text and try to pick it apart and try to pull all these things and get great insights. And I think so often God says, it's just not that difficult. There are difficult things there, but everything I want you to have is so simple. And sometimes the Bible is its best own interpreter. And so as I looked at these two passages, I began to see that there were different things going on than I had ever really noticed. It's not a huge mystery. They were right there in front of my face, but so often we, we're not taking those to heart. And so I think that these two passages interpret each other so well that if we'll take time to really walk them together, we're going to gain greater insight. So to, to kind of illustrate that, I want to talk a little bit about shadow puppets. Okay? Everybody knows shadow puppets. No big deal. We're not that impressed with shadow puppets, right? <laughs> uh, you kind of put your hand up and make a little thing on the wall. But here's a little game I want to play for just a minute. See if you can guess the shadow puppet. We're going to see an image, and then you'll... Multiple choice, figure out what you think it is, then you'll see actually what that shadow puppet is after the hands are done. And we'll move on with that. So here we go. 
So do you think this one is going to be a teacher, a bear, a pelican, or a deer? Make your choice. Oh, yeah. Let me get out of here. So you can see that? It actually is a bear. Okay. Not so hard. Impressed? Ooh, so impressed. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. A rabbit, a dog, a monkey, or a frog? Okay, we got a frog out there. What'd you say? Dog? Rabbit. Okay. It is actually a rabbit. There he is. Again, so impressed, right? <laughs> Next one. Palm tree, camel, Robert Downey Jr., or a giraffe? Uh, camel. Camel. Most of us say camel. It is a camel. <laughs> so when we look at these, any one of us with a little kid can blow their mind by putting a spider or a dog or an alligator or something on the wall if they're three, four, five years old. Try doing this with a teenager. Ooh, watch this. And they go, bird, yeah, big deal. <laughs> and, and we're not that impressed by this. But in the right hands, if you take time, shadow puppets can do a whole lot more. Pay attention to my friend, Bob Strongbrook. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to put my arms like this, and at one point I'm going to say, okay, Ken. And when I do that, I'd like you to give me your left, your left hand. I want you to put your left hand just like this, okay? And then, uh, when it's there, then I'm going to have you do uh, several things four times, right, right here. But several things four times. You're going to have to go one, okay, right here. One, two, three, four, just like that. Okay, then hold that finger up all by itself. And then, and then you can lift the finger off, and I want you to put the end of your finger right between these two knuckles. Do you see them? Go one, two, three, four, like that. Okay, then it goes back where it was, back where it was. Then I want you to imagine you have a BB between your finger and your thumb. Go one, two, three, four, like that. Okay, then the last thing, I want you to hold your finger out horizontally one half inch away from my thumb. Go ahead one half inch away, and I will pinch it. And when I pinch it, you can pull it way back like this. Okay, so let's just review it one time. So I'll say, okay, Ken. <laughs> okay, go. And if it helps to count out loud like that, that's fine. I can see you moving in. <laughs> ready here. If we can get the lights turned out, that would be great. <laughs> when I was a child, I slept every night in the room by my father's study, where the light from the hall shone on the wall and gave life to my shadow buds. <laughs> a play in three acts, written by Big Bobby Stromberg. <laughs> Age seven, entitled The Rabbit and the Hound. Act one. <laughs> this would be the rabbit. 
shadow would loom on the side of the room. <laughs> Exceeding his normal size. And almost pleading, he'd say, I don't mind this play, but no more horsing around with those guys here.
Okay. <laughs> so there are shadow puppets and then there are shadow puppets, right? <laughs> so my experience with the Lord's Prayer in Psalm 23 is kind of like that. I grew up in a church. I knew these passages. I memorized them a little kid. All this through Bible art, all this kind of stuff. And I kind of took those, put them on a shelf, set them away and said, now, let's go to Paul. Or let's deal with you know, the heart of the gospel. So let's look for some other things. And when Dallas Willard said this to me, he talked about practicing simplicity and that there is more depth in simplicity than we will probably ever be able to plumb out. And so as we spend time with these, I realized over the, the next six to nine months that there's a connection between these that I've never seen before. And I just want to challenge you to think about this. And at first you may completely disagree with me and that's okay because there are good reasons to disagree with this. But at the same time, I think God is doing some amazing things and his providence is shown through this. So let's look at these two passages. First of all, the prayer of the divine shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell on the house of the Lord forever. When I started working through this every morning, um, phrases just started sticking with me. And I, and I actually ended up getting stuck on a couple phrases for a long time. And I thought, okay, Lord, if, if these are just, won't let me go, perhaps I need to think through them. And I spent an awful long time on the first line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I had trouble getting past that. Because I thought, okay, Lord, I want to understand. I want to learn to live every line of this song. And he kept stopping me, saying, okay, let's start with the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you really understand what that means? Do you understand that metaphor? Because if you understand that, the next one makes perfect sense. I shall not want. Other translations say I shall not be in want. But I think what it's talking about is, is I won't be in a place that I have needs that go unmet because the Lord is my shepherd. There are other psalms that say that it, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the enemy would have destroyed us. The seas would have engulfed us had it not been the Lord that was on our side. And, and the point is not that, yeah, we win, wipe out everybody else, but the point is that we stand and say, if it weren't for you, God, if we had anybody else on our side, we were lost. And so to say the Lord is my shepherd First of all, I've got to be humble enough to realize maybe I'm just a sheep who relies fully, completely, 100% on the shepherd for everything. That's a humbling thought. But at the same time, if I can fully lean into that and realize the Lord is my shepherd, I learn to not be in want. That means he'll give me everything I need. That means I'm never going to be in a place where I'm saying, I wish that God had come through because God will always come through. 
And if God doesn't come through the way I want him to, then it's not God that failed. It's my expectations that have been misplaced. And in the midst of this, we dealt with death and tragedy and pain, and I walked that, saying, Lord, are those people in want? And I had the image of Moses in my mind, who is ready to go into the promised land, he gets to the end of the assignment. God takes him up on the, the hill and looks out over the promised land and says, here it is, Moses. See the promised land. And Moses says, finally, we're going to make it. And God says, yeah, but you're not going. What a difficult point. I've walked for over 40 years with these people. I've battled with them, Lord. I've been, you've given me the promised land. We're ready to take it. And you're saying I'm not going to go? And I think to shorthand that thing, this is, this is you know, Exodus according to Jack. So, but at that one point, God says to Moses, no, you're not going. And Moses drops dead. And then wakes up and God says, now look, this is the promise. My provision for you is so much more complete than that little valley of dust and dirt that they're going to go spend years trying to conquer. I promise you the promised land and here it is. I think Moses at that point says, sorry. <laughs> I don't really want to go back there. <laughs> so I, I think we need to get this perspective that, that if things don't go the way we want them to, it doesn't mean that God has let us down, but sometimes God is doing something different and bigger and better. So as I, I wrestle with this, it, it, it begins to open up, and we could go through the rest of it, but it would take far too long um, in those ways. But we'll take a look at it. Put that up against this other passage that we know so well. And, and I'm using... Um, the passage from Matthew 6 rather than from Luke, and also I'm putting this tag on the end that uh, your Bible probably throws the second half of 33 down on the bottom and says, earliest manuscripts don't have this, but later manuscripts do. And I'm just making the decision that for our purposes, let's go with those later manuscripts. <laughs> let's use this, because there's, there's nothing in that passage that is not in line with the Spirit of Christ. So I don't think we have a problem there, but there again, I'm making decisions as all the you know, translators do. I'm not a translator, but this prayer that Jesus prays when his disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, he answers. Pray like this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When I started praying this prayer in the morning, and, and not necessarily just praying this prayer, but thinking through it and walking through it and saying, okay, Lord, I just want to, I don't want to just wrote, throw out these words, but I, I want to listen to, to what you would have me get from this passage. And what stood out to me first was. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That wasn't a surprise to me because that was one of the things I picked up from this class I took with Dallas Willard. That he said, if Jesus, God in the flesh, prays for the kingdom of heaven to be here now, has the kingdom of heaven not already come? It's not by and by in the sky when we die. It's, it begins here. It's in you and me. Jesus talks about this all over. He begins his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he teaches, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and has all these parables. And so I, I sat there saying, Lord, if, if, if your kingdom is here, present now, and it's to be working out in me, how should I hear this prayer? 
And so listening to this and Psalm 23, I had what I would call an epiphany that I think Jesus prays this prayer, but the answer to the prayer is Psalm 23. And when you put them together, you see that line for line, Psalm 23 is such a great commentary at an intellectual level on the Lord's Prayer. But I also think at a spiritual, Holy Spirit, God-moving level, it is the answer. If Jesus says, here's how to pray, David says, here's what happens in my life. So let's take a, a, a moment to walk through these and think, think about them. So the first section, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He starts by glorifying God and talking about him and asking for his kingdom to come. And David answers by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be more. If the prayer of Jesus is answered in the hearts and minds of every believer, they can affirm that, yes, God is king. And to a sheep, who is the greatest king of all? The shepherd, no question. A great little book that perhaps you've read, but if you haven't, I recommend it. It's called A Shepherd Talks About Psalm 23. And the last name is Keller. I just forget the first name. But it's a classic. It's been out there ever. It sat on my shelf for 25 years. Because when I first got into ministry, someone gave it to me. A little tiny book like this, sat on the shelf, got busy, never picked it up. Until six months ago, a shepherd talks about Psalm 23. And my goodness, what a rich little volume that is. Um, but the answer that Jesus opens his prayer with the affirmation that God is holy and the assertion or the request that his kingdom come and it'll be carried out in, the, in our lives just as it is in the spiritual realm. The psalmist answers that God is shepherd. And the metaphor implies that as a sheep looks to the shepherd, so we should look to God. That God the Father fills every need, gives us all support, promotes us, carries everything through. And if we live in that way, his kingdom has come and his rule is here in our lives, in our hearts and minds. And the answer to Jesus' request is coming in this psalm. This next phrase, Jesus simply asks, give us this day our daily bread. The psalmist begins to assert that God already does so much more than Jesus ever asks. It begins here, and you'll see it build bigger and bigger and bigger as we go through the psalm. Give us this day our daily bread. And the psalmist says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. There's a lot Jesus is saying and asking for our daily bread. I mean, he's talking about every day, ask for what I need just for today. Don't be worried about tomorrow. It sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? The psalmist comes in and says, as a sheep, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. And I don't know if you've ever been around sheep. I have a little bit. But I've been around a lot of farm animals. I don't know of any animal that lays down in green pastures unless their belly is completely full. This is a picture of a sheep who has not just been fed, but is well-fed. And so well-fed, I'm going to lay down in this whole field of food because I don't need any more right now. And he leads me beside still waters, water that keep me safe. And water, fresh water is great for sheep, but fast-running water is not. They don't swim so well. You know? and, and there's a lot of danger around these rivers and creeks and all that stuff. He leads me 
lets me lay down in green pastures and takes me to still waters. And the psalmist says, even beyond those physical needs, he restores my soul. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. The psalmist says, that and more. So much more that God does. He restores my soul. And so this next request is answered. Oh, no, my battery's going to go on us. Um, is that God goes far beyond what he is asking. And it begins here and continues as we move on. Give me a second to plug this in so we don't lose the whole thing. So as Jesus requests, the psalmist begins to say, God does that and more. And we'll see that through the rest of the psalm. The next part of the prayer says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's tough enough. Because Jesus set the standard for forgiveness in my life as the same standard I'm willing to give to you. And I used to think, boy, that's hard enough I'm done with that. But look at what the psalmist says. That God not only does that, he takes it even farther. He guides me along right paths or in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's talking about relationship. Jesus is talking about relationship too. And forgive us as we forgive others. Let me realize, God, that my relationship with you is affected by my relationship with other people. Not what they do to me, but what I do to them. And I think Jesus is saying, how dare I ask you to be gracious when I am not willing to be gracious? Sound like the Sermon on the Mount and several of his parables? I mean, Jesus tells the same story over and over so many times in Scripture. And the psalmist goes on and says, he guides me in paths of righteousness or right paths to live the right way for his name's sake. Look at what he's saying. Jesus asks for the forgiveness we need in order to be right with God. He qualifies it by saying that we will be forgiven as we are ready to forgive others. The psalmist says, God's answer goes far beyond this. He not only forgives, but he leads us to be righteous in all our ways and to have right relationships not just with God, but with those around us. And the last thing he says is that this is done for his name's sake. I pulled this insight from Keller in that, that book, A Shepherd Talks About Psalm 23. He says that every shepherd looks at the flock to make judgments about the shepherd. A healthy flock speaks well of the shepherd. So that's what this psalm is talking about. God leads me in right paths, teaches me how to have good relationships, how to love other people, how to be the kind of person he wants me to be, to be like Christ, so that the world will think well of me, but also of him. This is all done for his sake, and I am living, trying to be the best I can, not so people will love me so much as they'll recognize who my shepherd is. It reflects on God. And the next one, this is where God really steps up in Psalm 23 and, and fills us out. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil, depending on your position. <coughs> and the psalmist writes a treatise here. He doesn't talk about just temptation. That's in there, but he goes so much farther. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now temptation 
is just the edge of the lands of the shadow of death. And so his prayer from Jesus is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the psalmist says, let me tell you how God does that. Even though I walk through the valley, right in the middle of these dark places, in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And then he gives us these illusions, these images that come from the shepherd and the sheep. And so God begins to open and give us the pinnacle of what's going on here. So we're going to take a look at some of these. Even though I walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death, I will I fear no evil for you are with me. God is good shepherd, guides us through difficulty to strength. And he encourages us to stand. He not only guides us and keeps us from falling into temptation. And Paul picks up on this as well and says, No temptation has seized you except which is common to people. But God is faithful, and with every temptation will give you a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And so when we pay attention, we begin to see everything in the Gospels, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, and some of this great ethical teaching from Jesus, is echoed again and again and again by the apostles because they got it. And so powerfully, many times, from Paul. And so I, I kind of chuckle when people say, well, you know, when we got to Paul, we got the real deep theology. This is good stuff. I go, it's because he's standing on the shoulders of Jesus. <laughs> and you look at, at what he's saying, he's repackaging the words of Jesus in ways that we can understand and sometimes chew onto a little bit more. But Jesus here, praise God, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. The answer here, the psalmist says, God does that. In turn, we're equipped to help others when they face similar dark valleys. I tell my students, I, I was 30 years in youth ministry, I'm out of youth ministry now, but I, I still think of what I did with my students, I told them all, you don't become a Christian, you don't get baptized in order to go to heaven. I mean, that's what it's all about. What is God doing leading us here for another 40 years? You know, I mean, wouldn't it be great if that's the reason? Once I believe in Jesus, I get baptized, whoop, I'm gone. No, it's about staying here to bring the kingdom present to draw others. That we are salt, light, all the things we've been hearing about this week. The Holy Spirit works in me and in you to empower us to help others. And so God leads us through these difficult times, through these dark valleys, through these hard things, to empower us for his name's sake to bring others into that relationship as well. The psalmist goes on. He says, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff they comfort me. For the shepherd, a rod is a short, stout stick that's used sometimes as a club to ward off predators. It can be tossed to, to chase them away. It can even be used to discipline a sheep and kind of move them to the side. It's a short little stick that, that he's got. It's a mean of discipline and, and uh, helps with um, predators as well as, as sheep sometimes. The staff is a long stick curved at the top. It's that image you see of a shepherd, right? And the staff has some of the same uses, but it also can be used to rescue or to guide a sheep going the wrong way. Keller tells some stories of this one ewe that continually was trying to go off the path. And he started walking along beside her and just kind of tapping her on the, on the shoulder to keep her going this way. <laughs> and, and it kept her going. He said, finally, that's what God is doing with us so often. He's like, don't go that way. Stay here, I told you. And so God doesn't just avoid leading us into temptation. He goes so much farther. But the psalmist continues. 
this is, I think, the most powerful image. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There are two ways to look at this. Think about, you know, back to uh, ancient warfare. If you need images, think of Lord of the Rings or Braveheart. And, and when they're coming to battle, what happens? There's an army lined up on this side, an army lined up on this side, and when this whole thing starts, it's a melee up in the middle. This image comes to the battlefield. <clears throat> he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's as though God shows up with the enemy on the other side and says, oh, there's going to be a battle. But hang on. Takes his beloved out, throws down a banquet table and says, have a seat. No, you stay right there. You have a seat. With your enemies looking on, you're sitting at banquet. And I'm behind you. And I'm feeding you. And I anoint your head with oil. And your cup overflows. And I want him to know you are mine. And he's on the field of battle saying, enjoy a feast. Because when this is over, if the enemy still wants to take you on, he knows who he's fighting. That's the first image that empowers me so well. When I go into temptation now, it's like, wait a minute. Let me stop for lunch first. You mind if I do that? Let me tell you who's, who made my lunch this morning. And let's talk about that. Do you really want to go into this? Another one that's not so combative about this horrible enemy of, of Satan or whoever that may be, but, but another one is actually sitting at table. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Maybe God is saying, let's sit together. Let's have a meal. And before we start talking to work this out, let me remind both of you, I'm the shepherd and you're my sheep. You are my beloved. I care about you so deeply. I know you're headed with oil because you're mine. I've chosen you. Let's work this thing out. Because if you can't work it out, we're going to lose that other person. I don't want to lose them. And it causes me to be so much more gentle walking in going, I really don't have anything to lose in this conflict. If I'm the Lord's beloved, if he's my shepherd, I have everything I want. So why fight and cause a breakdown in a relationship with this person? Let's sit at the table together and let's figure this out. Particularly if you are also one of the Lord's beloved and we're sitting at table together and I think you're my enemy. How much would the church be changed if we could live this out? I mean, I'm from a church where, you know, we've got some things that we've decided are okay to do that other churches don't think we should be doing. Uh, women passing the communion trays or reading scripture or whatever. And, you know, I just think, let's not fight about this. Let's sit at table together and let's think it through. Because the temptation is to go, you're not as faithful as I am. I don't think God really is glorified by that or honored by that. So I'll stop preaching on that one. But anyway, um, as he lays this out, he's really still answering Jesus' request. Lead us not into temptation. But these two ways, on the field of battle, in the view of the enemy, or seated at the table with an enemy. Thinking through this, how do I honor Christ? How do I... Follow my shepherd in the midst of this conflict. Knowing he's coming back and anointing my head and my cup overflows.
That's a huge answer to the prayer of Jesus. Finally, oh, I'll just go ahead and read this. Either way, God doesn't banish the enemy, but honors and empowers the sheep so as to impress his care on his sheep and on the enemy. Sometimes I feel like, God, would you just, just get rid of Satan, throw him out of here? And God goes, not yet. <laughs> I want to show him one more time. This one's mine. Mm -hmm. Do your best. Because right now he's going to sit and eat. When he's done eating, then we'll get to it. That's my God. No, that's my God. Okay. Finally, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is also in the presence of the enemy. God calls his sheep by name and freely gives his blessing. The overflowing cup is a symbol of God's constant provision. It will not go empty, it will not run out. We're going back to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be anointed. God's not going to lead us into temptation and leave us there and go, wow, I thought you were smarter than that. <laughs> God's going to walk with us and go, no, we can get through this. And I'll sit down with you. And you'll have more than you need. And so Jesus goes on and finishes the prayer back with an assertion about the Father. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the psalmist comes in and agrees. Because of that, this is what happens in my life. Surely goodness and mercy follow me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the Hebrew is actually for all my days. I mean, it's, it's this Hebrew idiom that we translate forever, but most likely they, they meant, you know, for the rest of my time. Um, and, and I think there's also this, this meaning of, of, yeah, for this life and beyond. Both, all of those are in there in, I think, that Hebrew idiom in some sense. But you're probably sitting there thinking the same thing I did when I first had this insight. Can Psalm 23 really be the answer to the Lord's prayer? Come on. If David wrote Psalm 23 and Jesus spoke the Lord's prayer, answer to prayer comes after prayer. Come on. Hello. The psalm was written by David hundreds of years before Jesus spoke the words of this prayer for his disciples. How can this be? But isn't it just like God to inspire the answer to his own prayer over a thousand years before the prayer is spoken? It's just like God. And so what I'm trying to say in this is not that, well, you better see it this way because this is the way it is. No, I believe Scripture is living and active, as, as Hebrews 4.12 says, that God is constantly helping us to see and understand deeper insights. And, and sometimes a passage like Psalm 23, which stands on its own, it's completely beautiful and powerful as it stands by itself. It's only made more rich when it's put up against Psalm or uh, the Lord's Prayer. And we begin to recognize that perhaps God had this in mind all along, and he's trying to bring, there's probably a million insights that I've not recognized, that you've not recognized, that we don't see because we're not really opening our minds to the Spirit completely as he lays the Word in front of us. But I look at this one and say, wow, has God not done something like this before? Romans 5.8. God shows his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before any of us knew that we were going to need a way, God had already made the way. Before any of us wondered, why is Jesus praying that prayer? God said, look at Psalm 23, I gave you the answer. 
And he answers his own prayer, I think, thousands of years, a thousand years before it is spoken. So I want to close with just this one thought. You don't have to agree with me on this, and I'm okay if you don't. Because Psalm 23 and Matthew 6 stand on their own. But I also want to encourage you to have this thought in mind that says, you know, God, you may have put some kids call them Easter eggs. They're hidden in movies. You know, every Disney movie, animated movie, has characters from the other animated movies hidden in there somewhere, right? Those Easter eggs are there. Perhaps God did that in the scripture as well. It's just leading and delights when you find them. And this was a huge insight for me. And so if this makes sense to you, if it blesses you, take it and use it. Wrestle with it and think about it. If this seems annoying to you, like that guy just put everything out of order, forget it. Let it go. I'm okay either way. <laughs> and I think God is too. But the one thing we shouldn't do is just take these two passages and put them on a shelf and say, that's for Sunday school. Let's get on to something serious. Because I think we've been guilty of that enough with uh, the Lord's word in many ways. So I have um, this all written out in about a five or six page little book up there if you'd like to take it. It's, uh, it's also on my, my blog, and the blog spot is there for you. But um, uh, thank you for being here. Let's have a closing prayer, and I'll let you go. Father God, you alone are holy, and, and we're all trying to be. And Father, I thank you that that's, it's another way that, that you move ahead of us, that you look at us and call us holy, and when we know that we are in the process, and you accept us as we are, and give us the strength to never stay that way, Father. Help us to grow and to recognize what it means to fully lean into you as our shepherd and to listen to the voice of Jesus and let your kingdom come in us, Father. Let it be here, let it be present now in ways that perhaps we've not recognized so the world will be drawn to you and know that you are the one that they should come to by the way they see you living in us. Through Jesus we pray, amen. amen.